rotten motherfucker. Hello, friends. Welcome to Mostly Harmless. I'm your host, Dammit Damien. Buddies, this week we're hanging out, we are chatting with my special guest and, you know, part-time therapist, Mr. Fook Tran. Now, Fook is a Latin teacher, a tattoo artist, and the author of Saigon, a misfits memoir of great books, punk rock, and the fight to fit in. This came out last year. I discovered it thanks to an Instagram ad. I went, what the hell? Threw it in my Libby app on my Kindle, got it for free from my local library, and loved every second of it. Uh, the book is the story of Fuchs' very real childhood of growing up in small town Carlisle, Pennsylvania in the 70s and 80s, and how he found community thanks to punk rock and how we found escape through books and reading and learning. Uh, it's a fantastic moving memoir about just finding your identity, who you are in life and figuring out that maybe it's, uh, maybe it's not all planned out for you after all. I think maybe, I don't know. Uh, in today's chat, today's, today's a very unusual episode for me, at least who kind of turns the tables around on me and starts asking me a lot of questions. And my initial impulse was to delete all of me out of this. But then we talk a lot about authenticity and identity in today's episode. And I was like, cutting my weirdness out, cutting my awkwardness out, cutting my stuttering out is not me being authentic to you, the viewers. So I left a lot of it in and oh, buddies, why do I get so nervous interviewing people here on this thing I can I don't know but today's fun today we have a real cool chat and a real cool conversation uh, we talk a lot about identity and authenticity in today's episode and I get a little deep and a little heavy and he does kind of like help me out uh, talking to me about some cool stuff and buddies I ramble so much in today's episode I'm so sorry I need to stop rambling right now so let's let's just get to it Fuktran author of Saigon it's out now you buy an autograph copy from him links in the profile right below or check it out for free from your library uh right now my denver public library says it's six weeks waiting period it is worth those six weeks it took me three days to read this fantastic novel and i'm doing it again i'm rambling i'm rambling i'm so sorry uh let's go let's go talk to fook hey i'm fook i'm a latin teacher and a tattooer this is my shop and this is my book. It's a book about, well, what the hell is it about? You know what? Let's rewind. Is the book about my family and the sacrifices they made to escape Vietnam? Or is it about growing up in small town America? Is it about immigration or assimilation? Rebellion or loyalty? Murder or love? I guess it's actually about Star Wars. Or maybe it's about punk rock. Or maybe it's about the books I love that made me who I am. My book is about all those things, but it's about being more than those things. I'm more than just the sum of my parts and experiences. Let's not forget the words of Walt Whitman. I contradict myself. I contain multitudes. Hey, Damien. How are you? Great, thanks. How are you? Good, good. Nice shirt. Nice shirt. Oh, thanks. I, I uh, To be honest, I work trying to impress you. <laughs> i'm impressed i'm impressed oh. i'm ready to rock and roll <laughs> <laughs> we're actually in my apartment i would have offered you a beverage <laughs> yeah i, I assume I, we'll, we'll just pretend that you did yeah, yeah you're just <laughs> and uh cheers <laughs> cheers cheers to you so um yeah so i guess it, we'll get started if you're ready <laughs> what are you That's sipping good. on if you don't mind me asking uh no not at all it's a green spot um it comes out of the middleton distillery it's sort of like it's the same distillery that makes like Jameson. Oh, okay. Cool. And then, and then they have like some, some other sort of like reserve labels called green spot. And then there's a yellow spot, but mm, it's good stuff. It's not for mixing. It's, this is a sip and whiskey. Sip and whiskey. <laughs> We've been drinking a lot of uh, Hazel Baden's around here lately. Oh yeah. yeah. Hazel sure, Hayden's. Yeah. Did I say yeah, that? Yeah. 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 Mm, I've got a dyslexic brain. So I've... yeah, no, no, no worries. Well, again, it's, it's so great. Thank you for hanging out and chatting with me. Um, for the listener, it's Fook. Tron, right? Got it. Yeah, I usually say Tran, like Tran. rhymes with okay. can, but uh, either way, ha have at it. <laughs> I would have figured as a kid of the '80s, you would have went for Tron because you know. But no, it's it, and it just result. I definitely kid of the '80s also resulted in a lot of misspellings, and so I was like, okay, 
how do I like idiot proof this as much as possible? Because the first name is kind of a, you know, sort of spelling nightmare. So I'm you just going to go with Tran. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my name, you know, first name is Damien with the yeah. A. Everybody spells it with the E. It upsets more people than it upsets me. <laughs> the thing that really got me, though, is I was born in 81. You what, what? How old are you? 73. I was born in 73. So. Okay, cool. Yeah, old, old. A little bit older than forty <laughs> yeah. this year. You're what, 46, 47? Seven, 47, yeah, yeah, yeah. 47. Man, yeah. You look great though. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, the whiskey. <laughs> it's like from it's like from <laughs> Let me let me ask a strange question. I've noticed. Yeah, yeah. Do you smoke at all? Uh, like cigarettes? No, yeah. I don't. No. See, like I don't smoke. None of my friends smoke, and we all look like ten years younger. Anyway, total yeah. total. Range. No, I think that's true. Yeah, the true story. Yeah, that's science right there. <laughs> uh, there, there was some photo it was like uh, right before the super bowl it was like a tom brady 40 year old quarterback and he looks like a model and then it was like somebody from the 70s 40 year old quarterback and he looked like uh it looked like something Beat my up. cat threw up yeah 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 for sure for sure also for sure. photoshop right <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah so yeah, i was yeah, a kid yeah. i was born in 81 uh the name damien in the 80s was tied very closely with the omen movies um my parents always told me I was named after this Catholic priest, Father Damien, who helped lepers. And then one night my dad was drinking in the backyard and was like, nah, we're going to name you Christopher. Everybody's name is Christopher. The last movie we saw in theaters was The Omen 3, which is the one with Sam Neill as Damien all growing up. And we're like, we thought that would be a weird name. But I wasn't allowed to have friends. There were some friends that weren't allowed to be friends with me because uh, they thought like... Your hey, name? Well, yeah, because they thought my parents were devil worshippers. Oh my lord! That's, but this, uh, yeah. But this is during the '80s in you know small town Shreveport, Louisiana. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't understand what you went through as a kid with your name, but I I got some inklings of it in there. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, tell me about Shreveport. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm I'm so curious about Shreveport. Like, is it is it big? How, how big? Well, is so Shreveport, Louisiana. It's Shreveport, Bossier City, Metroplex. It's like the two neighboring yep. cities uh, bordered by a river. Uh, I think it's somewhere around six hundred thousand people. Oh, yeah. um, third, right. third largest city in Shreveport yeah. or Louisiana. Yep. It's uh, thirty minutes from the Texas border, forty-five from Arkansas. Okay. And so it's really like when I tell people I'm from Louisiana, they are immediately like, Ooh, New Orleans. Ooh, we love New Orleans. Um, but Shreveport was more like Dallas junior. It wanted to be Dallas. <laughs> Dallas was 30 minutes away. New Orleans was six hours away. So we just kind of had a little more of that, like uh, East Texas feel about it. Oh, that's so fascinating. I love that. Um, Which what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So you so, so culturally you're probably more closely uh, allied or aligned with Texas than you are right. with like, the Cajun French thing. Yeah. Which ones, I mean, I have a Louisiana tattoo, you know, even though I'm uh, from the North, it's a Tony Sasher's yeah. tattoo. So, I mean, I, I celebrate all of Louisiana, but uh, you are right. I mean, I was actually born in Dallas, but grew up in Shreveport. That's. Oh, interesting. So that's, it's, it's very closely, um, it's very similar environments. Yeah. And awesome. what I liked a whole lot about your book is you grew up, what, in Carlisle, Pennsylvania? Yeah. What was, what was that town like? Ooh, yeah. Uh, so I think when, uh, I think I did some uh, census like um, research and I think, um, I think it was like a population around 17,000 people um, through the seventies and the eighties. Uh, so it's, it's um, about 20, 30 minutes South of Harrisburg, which is the capital. It's like sort of dead center, you know, like if Pennsylvania is like kind of like squarish like that, then Carlisle sort of like South central. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, small, I mean, as far as I could tell, like pretty much like small town America, you know, like, I mean, Philly was two hours East and then Pittsburgh, I think was like, you know, depending on how you drive, like four or five hours West of us. Um, I could be wrong about that. But anyway, yeah, small town. Like, the, I think also just in terms of, like, the census, I think, like, 90-ish percent white. And then, like, a handful of, like, you know, black folks. And then a very small sort of, you know, dribble of whoever else is left over <laughs> in that demographic. <laughs> so I grew, you know, I'm 39 years old when I found your book about... Um about growing up as a kid in the, you know, the eighties, so to speak in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, here I am. And it, it, it reminded me a lot of, you know, I'm a white 
punk rock kid who grew up in North Louisiana. There weren't a lot of us. There weren't a lot of punk rock kids in Carlisle. So I was really amazed at how much I connected with that book and with your struggles of identity and finding yourself. Um, oh, that's what it was. I just watched To Kill a B- Mockingbird the other day. Mm. I've seen it before, but I'm going back through and I'm watching all the classics. And there was that this quote that uh, I was thinking about this chat with you and I was thinking this quote came out and uh, one time Atticus said, never really know a man until you stand in his shoes and walk around in them. Just standing on a boot or Radley's porch was enough. And uh, that made me think of you in that book. Like I, I didn't grow up an Asian refugee in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, but I still like mm. found something in that book of yours that, um, that grabbed a hold of me. So thank you. No, I, 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 guess, yeah. I guess thank you. No, for thank you. Shoes, shoes to walk around. <laughs> no, I appreciate uh, it. You know, yeah, no, really, it means a lot. And also, like, amazing to me to hear from so many kids of all sort of, you know, sort of makes and models who were like, I discovered punk rock. Like that was really like my salvation. Like I, you know, it doesn't have to be punk rock, but I, I still hope that like kids are like kids today are connecting in some form or fashion and finding their sense of the world through music. Right. Like, I think it's so powerful uh, and, and creating a scene, right. And like developing a scene around that. It seems like with the internet, it's like a lot easier, right. It's sort of, it's almost like too easy. Right. It's just like, and like, I'm just going to Google like people who love macrame manga and you know slayer and then like you have like an instant like subreddit (laughs) for the people who want that well so i guess we should have gotten into this before um but so my my mom's probably gonna watch this okay what's your elevator pitch on the book like how do we pitch this Mm. to like so like somebody who's not necessarily into punk rock or whatnot how do you sell this to to you know those people uh i mean i think if i i think i'll say this like and i I don't mean to be dismissive like i think if like punk rock is a thing that will turn you off then that's that's okay too right like i didn't um you know i think the elevator pitch is like it's a book about it's a coming like sort of classic coming of age story about like a vietnamese refugee kid who you know was growing up in small town pa as like the only you know vietnamese kid and he discovers great books and punk rock to sort of make his way through high school right especially you know and you know there's like dysfunction and abuse at home and like rednecks and bullies at school and you know how does he find his place in the world and he finds these two things that that we would think are really polar opposites but you know they're they're the communities that he finds um yeah nice how did so clips notes you know just further (laughs) to just further sell the book because like i liked this book so much that's why i wanted you on here today oh thanks hopefully how is that wait how's that elevator pitch does that 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 sound good to you no it sounds it sounds real good you know because it is it's a coming of age story it's about finding identity i think anybody like i again i'm walking i'm watching all the top 100 movies of the uh afi oh that's so awesome yeah yeah are you doing it in any particular order just kind of uh whatever strikes my fancy Oh, I love that. Last night we were watching uh, a repeat of Modern Family. They were talking about Streetcar Named Desire. So the girlfriend went to bed. I turned on Streetcar. Uh, Today I followed it up with Sunset Boulevard because it just seemed like a real good. Oh, nice. I've never seen. I've never seen Sunset Boulevard. It's 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 one of my favorites. Really? Yeah, I've I've seen it before, but it just felt right watching those two back to back. They really are kind of about descents into madness and uh, kind Mm. of what the world put these people through. Yeah. Well, what I like watching these movies is there is a, a sense of like people trying to find themselves and trying to find out who they are. And that's, that makes important stories that I think that Americans just love. So ho- I'm hoping that somebody listens to my rambling and goes, you know what, that, that other guy sounded really good. I'm going to go buy it. <laughs> Thanks. That's fine. Um, yeah. So who are the guys, who, who are the guys that got you into punk rock? How did you find this magical subgenre? Yeah. Yeah, especially because I, mean, I imagine in my days I got lucky. I got lucky and heard like Green Day on the radio, Offspring, mm. Goldfinger. You know, I was pre Blink One Eighty Two, but just barely. So, how did you discover on this the radio? Story? Like, like top forty. Right? I guess that was like when like punk really broke. Yeah, right. Like yeah, Green, yeah. like like Dookie was like 
that what was right. like charting on Billboard. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I loved Dookie, but it wasn't uh, until a couple of years later when I got into stuff like uh, Screeching Weasel and mm. Rancid and stuff like that that it really took off for me. But I was just yeah. curious, how did you find this subgenre? Yeah, I mean, it was like you know, like I just like dumb luck really like i i just happened to buy like a used skateboard from my across the street neighbor and uh like we had just moved to the neighborhood and he was like three years older than me so he was like in 10th grade now he was just about to go into eighth grade or yeah and uh and he had like this like classic like vision gator deck and i didn't know he, he, like he was like selling me whatever he could just for money for weed but which i didn't know at the time it was like oh sweet i'll, I'll buy this like deck for 10 bucks you know and uh, and then I showed up at school and some kids were like, hey, like, you've got a cool skateboard, like assuming that like I knew what I was doing and like was and so they just invited me to go skate with them. And like that was like, I remember very clearly the first time I heard, you know, like, you know, punk rock and it was like, like there was like swearing, like a lot of swearing. And I was like, yeah. you can say fuck on a record? Like what's going on? Like, you know, um, and that was kind of it. Um, yeah. And it was kind of a little bit all over the place. Like it was. I was like 86, 87 or like 86. So, you know, like, you know, it was like minor threat, you know, and like, um, well, they are like, and like the Fugazi EP was just about to come out. And it was like, definitely like, a, like, and it was like a funny mix of like Brit punk, like, you know, like the clash and the sex pistols and sort of like stiff little fingers, you know, were, were like really like popular in my friend group. And then sort of like the American stuff, but it was also like, you know, like you for I, I feel like I forget this. Like it, it's expensive to like buy records and to buy even cassettes, right? So, you know, it's like one person would buy a record and then they would like dub it, you know, on a cassette for like everybody in the crew. <laughs> so oh, Misfits. I should name also Misfits. I mean the Misfits were like, yeah, really huge, like in like eighty six, eighty seven. And then like you I got like Thrasher, like I remember like getting like Thrasher magazine, which yeah. is like sort of like this kind of great compendium of like skate culture right and like that was like the point at which i think like skateboard culture and like punk rock culture were merging together right so like they would have like a profile of like the descendants or all or you know dag nasty and then it would be like here's how you do an ollie or like a nose grind or whatever like so yeah. I, I remember i remember less i i was a bmx kid instead of a skate mm. kid but mm. still there were times when i'd buy the thrashers and I just remember the ads for all the band t-shirts. And I remember that's how I discovered Fugazi. I was like, what is this shirt that says, this is a not a Fugazi shirt? Yeah, yeah. Like, because like, <laughs> I didn't get it. And it but it made me want to, uh, man, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so coming, so you're a Vietnamese refugee. How old were you when you landed in Pennsylvania? Just, um not even yet two, like one and a half. Okay, great. So, yeah. so you essentially like you speak both languages, I assume. Um, I mean, I would say like now at this point, like my Vietnamese is probably like what I would call kitchen Vietnamese. You know, like it, like I I never like became like sort of fully literate. You know, like I speak with my parents in Vietnamese, and my father my father actually prefers to speak in English, just as he likes practicing his English. Yeah. Um, but you know, like like I wouldn't if if you drop me in Vietnam, like I wouldn't die or starve like i could get like a hotel room and like rent a cab and all that nice. stuff but like i couldn't talk like about the like economy sure. or like GameStop or you know reddit or whatever with you <laughs> in vietnamese yeah that's fair do you do you dream yeah. in it do you dream no. in vietnamese at all no 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 uh, yeah one, one of my friends she's an immigrant from mexico city and she occasionally i've asked her that before and she's like every so often she says usually it's a nightmare when it'll because because <laughs> she's stressed out and doesn't know where she is and that's when that that other language pops in so anyway just curious yeah yeah and i i just think it's also sort of like whatever your like general for me i guess is like whatever my my um like the habitat is like i think that really dictates like what my dream cycles are like i and i only say this because when i i did like a german immersion program and i i studied abroad in germany and when i was there like i definitely remember dreaming in germany and like 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 when the when the, the the switch was flipped i was like oh okay like i'm speaking german now and like i'm dreaming in german and it's like super weird yeah uh so before i do an interview i'll often dream about the interview subject or whatnot because it's all consuming when you were writing this book did you have any like flashback memories to fook as a child yeah yeah a lot i mean 
I don't know if I had dreams, but like I would, you know, or things would come to me as I was writing, like I would just remember it, you know, because it's sort of like if you're not using it, you know, use it or lose it, right? So, I mean, these are just like memories and like sort of image images of things that I hadn't thought about in a long, long time. Um, yeah, and then also just like chatting with my brother and my parents just to sort of like corroborate or fact check things. And it's pretty funny, yeah. I've started writing more this year in the pandemic. Your book was a huge influence on me as well for that. How does one sit down and actually write a memoir that's true to themselves? <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, I think, you know, there's, for me, like, I think there were two, like, and I think it's different for everybody, right? Sure. Like, I think, I think that question is, is, it's a great question. You know, I think it's also a tricky one. It's sort of like asking, like, what is the best chess move, right? And it's yeah. kind of like, you know, depends on your board, right? Depends on what all the pieces in play are. Like, for me, like the, like my guiding principles were, there's a great line from E.B. White's um, style, Elements of Style. And he says, you know, you're writing for an audience of one. Uh, at the end of the day, right? That like, if, if I'm not writing for myself, like write the things that make me laugh and write the things that, you know, make me cry and the things that are like going to make me cringe, then, then, you know, at the end of the day, the book is not going to be a success because it wasn't authentic to who I was, right? So I think that was really powerful for me, like as a sort of like a guiding star. And then the other one was I, I taped it onto my writing notebook was the thing that you're most afraid to write, write that. Um, because like, I think when you read writers and you feel like they're not taking risks and, and they're not sort of like letting it all hang out or they're not swinging for the fences, like, you know, like I don't want to invest my time and energy into reading something that, that someone is just trying to, you know, write, you know, and it feels anemic and there's like yeah. no blood in the water anyway. So those, for me, like that was super helpful. Well, it's, you want to be authentic and that's, sure. isn't that what punk rock to an extent all was all about back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, yeah. I can't, if, if I hear even a hint of something that's not necessarily authentic and something, it, it turns me off completely. So I, wait, I, wait let's talk about this. I love, I, I love this. And I, and I haven't had the chance to talk, to sort of talk to anyone else about this. Okay. In a, yeah. In a okay. Podcast form. Like, what do you think? What do you think that is in like, what does it mean? And I'm not asking this in an antagonistic way. I'm really right, like, right. like deep inquiry for me. Like, what does it mean to be authentic? Like in, in, in either writing or punk rock, let's say. Like, I'm so curious about that. I don't, you know, it, it's weird. I read uh, Catcher in, a Lo- in the Rye later in life. Um, it didn't have as much effect on me reading it in my thirties as it probably would have. Had I read <laughs> That's it good. That's teens, good. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. but as far as authenticity, it's, it's just kind of like, I want something. The world is full of so much plastic and so much fakery mm. that it's, that it is somehow. I, I don't want that. I want something that's real and raw and unfocused. And maybe that's because I feel real raw and unfocused at times mm. as well so it's maybe just a mirror for me to look through as well yeah 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 i yeah. think i don't know what about for you I don't, yeah no I, I think i've been thinking about this all a lot right like so like when i was in high school like you know like the um like a good analogy or or, or a close um uh corollary to to inauthenticity was the sort of like the fake kids right like the fake yeah. punks you know there was yeah. like this one kid who was just like we for whatever reason like my group of friends decided that this kid was like a poser and like they just like heckled him and bullied him mercilessly and i was like but what like makes him a poser like i mean you know as far as i can tell like and and even if all you did was want to be a skater right like like somehow that felt like like it was like like the wannabe wasn't good enough Uh, so i i just i struggle with it and i think it's something that i struggle with in the book as well this this idea of you know, and I, I think it's it's a worthy, um, you know, I think it's a worthy struggle because I think this idea of like what is what makes an authentic punk rocker, right? Like, yeah, it, like I, I don't know, like it, it's not for popularity's sake. Like none of the punks are popular, so it's like you're not doing it for social cachet, right? But even if you were, like, I think that could be up for debate <laughs> whether that makes you authentic. Yeah, no, it's man in that poser thing, you know, I graduated high school in 99. That was still very much a thing until pretty much until bands like Blink-182 and like, <laughs> uh, it, of course that set upon its own like fake punk rock thing. But 
really yeah. i think the gatekeepers of punk rock kind of went away in the 2000s oh, is that right oh that's good interesting I, you know that's yeah. and this is just me talking from my experience yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah yeah you know i the kids i'm in denver these days and the kids in denver are so much more open and so much everything's all about inclusive in, being inclusive and educating people so you can have that kid. You know, one of my best friends in high school was the kid who would literally go to the mall and carry a skateboard, even though he didn't know how to do it, just so mm. he would look, you know, because he wanted to play that part. Man, in mm. sitting here talking to you about it, I'm like, maybe life would have been a whole lot e- different if instead of us being like poser, we just brought these people in and taught them instead. Sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. I spent years wanting to do things and make things. And I just was like afraid to do it because I was yeah. afraid of, Oh shit, man. This is called the best out, ther- right. Yeah. This is a great therapy <laughs> session. <laughs> You're welcome. You. Well, and I think, I think that really like for me, like th- these questions all circle the drain because like of getting called out for not being a real American, whatever that means, right? right. Like, and, and I think in, in the national discourse, like we're having this conversation about who's a real American, like even, even with the insurrection, right? Like, it's like, we're the real patriots. Like we're taking the country back. And it's like, wait, no. like who, like who, like, you know, who's deciding who's a real American, right? And, and like using the, the label of patriot to be like, I'm a real American and you're not, right? It's, it's wild, right? So the, so the idea of authenticity is just like really interesting to me. I just, uh, to me, like, it, you know, I had this other conversation and someone was like, you are like, it was a conversation about like, who or what is an authentic Vietnamese person? And I was like, what does that even mean? You know, like, because like, like you said, like there's, then all of a sudden you're like, well, then there's gatekeeping. There's like some sort of like cobble of people who decide like you are really Vietnamese and you are not like you speak the language and you do not, and you know, all this stuff. And, and I think for me, like it, it's, it's been there like my whole life, like, and also like, I love that punk rock is a little bit like a middle finger to all of that. Right. And it's just yeah. like, well, if you don't, if you don't like it, well, fuck you guys. And I don't, <laughs> I don't care. Like, I think black flag is really incredible in that way. Yeah. Like they really, and Henry Rollins in particular, you know, like he grew his hair out long, right? Because all the punks were like, you fucking hippie. And he's like, well, okay, fine. Like, I'm going to grow my hair out and then like, you know, beat the shit out of you after shows. <laughs> so, I mean, not that, you know, that's good for everybody, but yeah. So I don't know. I We wanted to do this thing um, about 15 years ago and I was living in Colorado Springs at the time and everybody was wearing like girl pants and really tight clothes. But uh, I'm a heavy dude, so I would never go for that. And Walmart, <laughs> Walmart at the time had these like NASCAR jackets you get for like 20 bucks. We had this idea of being NASCAR, like hardcore guys wearing NASCAR <laughs> jackets. And the closest we got is we all had these uh, Target brand Shaquille O'Neal Adidas jackets that we all, all of us bought for like five bucks each on clearance and wore around. But Man, I haven't thought about a lot of this stuff in a long time. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Yeah, but it, but again, that that was our way of being like, you guys are being like gatekeepers over here. Well, fuck your gate. We're gonna go wear like the most ridiculous shit we can, and it was still like authentic in a way. I don't know. It's weird. Authenticity is such an interesting thing. And yeah. So here, so here's my last thought, and we we can move on. But oh, I, I think. I mean, I think the idea of authenticity, like I think really enters the conversation um, because of capitalism, right? Because like, like, like in an in a exchange of goods, right? Like that's how you determine whether the thing that you got was of value or not. Um, and so like that, that's when like, oh, is this like a real, you know, Gucci or is this like fake Gucci, right? Is this like authentic leather or is it like, you know, pleather? And, and I think in our culture in particular, where, I think you can very easily buy identity through the things that you wear and the music you listen to and that stuff. Like, I think that inevitably, like if you, if you can buy the real thing or accidentally buy the fake thing, like you can eventually be the real person or be a fake person, whatever that means. Right. So I think, I think it's like this like weird bleed over from sort of like capitalism and the way that we talk about goods, but that's just like sort of my armchair. I, you know, my caveat is like, I'm just a tattooer. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just a middle-aged punk rock guy. But uh, I think that idea of authenticity, I think, starts with like commerce, right? Because yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think it starts in like any kind of a communal based thing, right? Like, I don't think like the pilgrims were like, you're not really a pilgrim. Just get out of here, you know? Or like, you're not, you know, it's just very strange. 
man, you've given me a lot to think about today when it comes to the authenticity. <laughs> I just, I no, I mean, I really love thinking about it. I do um, too. Uh, it, it reminds me of those late night conversations me and my friends would have at like Village Inn at one o'clock in the morning <laughs> down sure. in coffee, you know, like, yeah, is yeah, that yeah. color blue, the same color blue that you see? Like, I like those kind of, you know, stoner. Yeah. Uh, not sure. that this is stoner, but no, like, no, 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 no. Like, I, I hear that. That yeah. deep, like late night conversations that you, you can only have with like the best friends forever. <laughs> well, thanks. I, and also, I think like, uh, you know, I think the idea, I think like what what that conversation around authenticity, I think is really um, can be tricky or, or the thing that is problematic with it is that, like, we're expecting everyone to be a finished product that like, we can't yeah. be messy, that we can't have like false starts. Right. And like, you know, and like, maybe we think we want this one thing and all of a sudden we like turn around, it, you know, and, and also I think it's, now it's really deeply amplified by like the public discourse around politics where like people like will dig up old tweets from like 20 years ago and be like, right. well, you tweeted this, you know, in 2000. So therefore you're a hypocrite and you're fake, right? Like you're, you're fake. You're a liar yeah. because I can't believe what you say, you know, as opposed to being like, Hey, you know what? I said like some dumbass shit like 20 years ago and I've grown as a person. Yeah. You know? And, I mean, and yeah, I feel that all the time. Cause I, again, I grew up in Louisiana. Um, I did not realize I was a racist person until like, I, I didn't think I was racist. I didn't have, but when you start looking upon things with this different lens of uh, uh, of how the how things are described, you know, when you just look at things differently, it's like, oh, yeah, uh, there was <laughs> there was a lot of ingrained racism within me. Does that make me a bad person now because I've grown and can recognize them and teach other people not? So yeah, totally. I I, I question. I think about this kind of stuff all the time, way too much. So mm, yeah. No, that's awesome. You know, I think it's the sign of like, you know, a life of inquiry, right? Yeah. Well, in, in, in particular, I just finished reading, um, Isabel Wilkin, Wilkers, Wilkinson's book. Yeah. Cast. Uh, I didn't read cast. I oh, read, okay. uh, oh, you read the, a warmth you know. of other sons, her yeah, first yeah, novel, yeah. which was all about the migration of colored people out of the South and yeah. just all these ideas that had been ingrained in me since birth. And it's just like, Oh no, this was all, it was all advertising. It was all just, people trying to sell you this idea and all of us buying into it. So uh, yeah. your ideas on authenticity, I'm going to have to relook. I'm, you're going to have me staying up late tonight. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks. Like, no, 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 no apologies. I'm just, I'm just asking questions. I don't, I don't have any answers. I, you know. No, no, it's great. I mean, who, who does? That's why we're sitting here right. talking. If I right, had the right, answers, right. I wouldn't be talking to you. Anyway, <laughs> I need, I need to find them myself. Uh, but let, let's, so you mentioned, of course you are, you know, I, I hate to keep saying the word refugee, Please. but you came yeah. to no, the United no, no. States um, seeking, your parents did at least, seeking safe haven from yeah, Vietnam. And sure. to see yeah. the shit that's going on right now in this country, like all you've known, I take it, is, is America. You are American, but what what is your what is your experience like right now in, the, in this world? <laughs> what, are, what are you... How, how are things different for you? I, I don't know yeah. quite how to say the words. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, in some, it's some ways it's like it's better, in some ways it's worse, right? right? Like, I remember like when Charlottesville happened, you know, my brother and I were texting and he's like, are we seriously still trying to punch Nazis? Like, he's like, I can't believe like we're still doing this like 20 years later. And I was like, I don't you know, I, you know, so like, I think it's disappointing that like there, there hasn't been like a deep reckoning um, on a, a larger scale you know with racism <laughs> you know to yeah. just you know and and all of that um and, and at the same time i think the fact that we are having a public discourse is really powerful you know like growing up in the 70s and 80s like we, nobody talked about this in a public way um and that there's so many white people declaring like very strongly their allyship you know, with Black Lives Matter or any any number of other sort of like socially forward or socially progressive movements. So that's really heartening to me um, because like when I was growing up, it was just like sort of like, the you know, it, it wasn't like that. Like kids weren't sort of like putting themselves out there and and, and taking up all these causes like in, in such a public way um, and certainly not adults. So I don't, you know, I mean, James Baldwin says, right? Like you can't, you're not, you 
you can't fix anything that you're not talking about. You know, even though like you, you could talk about it and not be able to fix it, but you definitely can't fix it if you're not talking about it. So, yeah, it's cool. yeah, yeah. Uh, what is it like putting out a a book that's very much about your experience growing up in America at this time? Like you couldn't have. I it's it's weird to say you couldn't have planned a better time to put this out there, but man. Yeah. 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 And the book was like a four year process, you know, like we literally, you know, it was 2019 and, you know, I finished the book in 2019 and like had this meeting with like the publicity and marketing team. And they're just, you know, and they're very savvy about like when they think a book will be most impactful in terms of the launch. They're like, let's pick April of 2020, you know, it'll be like the anniversary of the fall of Saigon and maybe we can get some you know sort of catch some wake you know waves off of you know that that sort of historical you know tide and i'm like oh, yeah that sounds fine you know and you know haha pandemic right like you never know what's going to happen so yeah i mean I, I i can't i can't you know that's just dumb luck but i'm excited you know like i feel i feel very fortunate that people are finding the book and the story resonant like and and yet like it doesn't feel like an artifact from the 80s like it feels still incredibly relevant today so i'm sure people are like oh that's depressing but at the same time like you know i guess i guess we still got work to do yeah and, and you have two children of your own yeah right? yeah yep yep seven and ten seven to ten little girls yep two girls yeah two girls man yeah so when you're looking back at this life that you've lived you're a father how does that change your relationship with your parents as you're writing this book man how does that work? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I, I really, um, you know, and I, I like for me, like the big breakthroughs were like, you know, sort of just like finally getting like counseling and like, you know, taking care of my mental health and like going to therapy for like, you know, a good chunk of my thirties before I had kids. Um, or like, right. As I was having my first daughter and like, that was really important, you know, like you can only like, you know, you know, listen to like super aggressive music and get in a pit and like punch people in the face, right? To like get out your aggressions. But like, yeah. <laughs> that's not really about like self healing, you know what I mean? Like, that's just like the pressure valve need- needing like release. Um, so I think like the counseling was like huge for me. And then, you know, writing the book obviously was really powerful in reframing, you know, sort of like my parents and their humanity, you know, because I think, I think that is a natural blind spot for, for all kids right like you like your like it's hard to see your parents in any kind of like a three-dimensional way right and and um and so you know they end up being sort of like two-dimensional villains or you know vic uh, heroes right in your life right like when you're really little it's like oh your parents like they can do no wrong and then as you get older it's like they can do no right and and then like and then once you're an adult you're like well the truth is somewhere in the middle right so so for me it was really powerful and writing the book and being a parent myself to sort of fully see how flawed, but also, you know, how valiant they were. Yeah. Nice. And I uh, forgive me. I can't remember. Are your oh, parents still alive? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah they, they live in uh, Southern California. Oh, well, very nice. They've upgraded yeah, yeah. a lot. From oh yeah. Big time. Big time. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do they think of this book and what's become of their son? Um, you know, I think, um, you know, I mean, I think like as like the black sheep in the family, like the bar has always been like kind of low for me. So, which I really appreciate, <laughs> you know, they're just like, I mean, I remember like going to college and, you know, there was like no pressure for me to be like a doctor, lawyer, or engineer, unlike anybody else in my family. Cause they're like, well, he's not on drugs. He's not homeless. Like he's in college. Good enough. You know? Um, so I was like, yes. Uh, uh, you know, my mother is, you know, sort of functionally illiterate in English. So she, has not read the book as far as I know. Um, my father read it maybe like six or seven months after it came out. And and like our, our text exchange was literally, like I was, just, it was like on a different family text thread. And I was like, hey, have you guys read the book? I'm just curious. You know, like most parents, if like they, their kid does a thing, they'll be like, hey, like I saw your movie or heard your album and I liked it or not, whatever. But like, it was like sort of like nothing for my parents for like seven months after the book came out. And finally I was like, uh, I'm just curious. You don't have to read it. I'm not going to make you read it. But like, did you read the book? And then my dad texted me back. He's like, yes, I did. It was very painful. And then that was it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. Like, how could it not be painful? Right. I mean, yeah. it's like worse than all. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because I I I I don't want to get into it, but I found out some interesting stuff about my parents this year, and it's you spend a lot of time just like I, I contemplating who they were, what decisions they made, and and uh, it's it, it makes them a little bit more human, and, and uh-huh. I I kind of respect some of their journey a little bit more. Now, how do I tell them that? I just hope they watch this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, wait, no, I'm so, no, I'm so, wait, can okay. you talk about it or would you rather not talk about it? That seems real juicy. I, I, well, I I'll, I'll tell you that like the Cliff's notes is yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Only if you want to. I don't want to put you on oh, the spot. I, I don't mind. I'm just worried about like <laughs> the listeners, uh, <laughs> you know, who, who watches this because in the past I've gotten these iTunes comments. It's like the, the host never stops talking. <laughs> um, let the let the people you're interviewing talking but i'm like haven't you guys ever listened to mark Marin? all he does is talk about himself and he gets great stuff out of his people but anyway uh no so around i haven't talked to my father in a long time because whenever i do talk to my father it's very like well my life's terrible like he talks to the phone like this like my life my life's terrible and uh you know i'm still you know and then it'll usually be some racist remarks thrown in there. Just, you know, this last time I talked to him, he was like, you're not dating a colored woman, are you? And I'm like, who cares if I was? Oh my God. You're like, yes, two of them. Right. (laughs) Needless to say, I don't talk to my father that much, but it turns out that my mother got pregnant at 17 and married her, like her friend who was my father who is not my sperm donor. Whoa. And I just found that out this summer at 39 when I called my father on Father's oh, Day. My So on Father's Day, my father's like, well, I just figured he finally heard the news and didn't want anything to do with me. And it's just like, I I, I didn't believe him. I was like, oh, you're, you're crazy. My father has, has some mental illness, and uh, which I thought he passed on to me, which maybe he did, but that, not genetically, it turns out. Yeah. And uh, so, so it's been a real interesting summer just thinking about what makes a person, who is a person, how does it, how does, uh, who's the, who's your authentic father, right? Right, exactly. And, and, you know, like I have a bad temper, but when I have that bad temper, my father's in the room with me, you know, spiritually, not this sperm donor who I don't know. And then I went and signed up on ancestry.com and it turns out, oh, my father was telling the truth and it, Real interesting. It's been an interesting wow. like summer to think about these things. Yeah. And so it makes me wow. think a lot about like uh, culture and um, you know nature versus nurture and stuff yeah. like that. So so yeah. reading a book like yours, where it, it just because I I, I want to turn it back into you, um, it, it really does. It's like okay, there like you you there's there. I'm rambling too much, but there's no. something, there's something in, in inherently like connecting about the subgenre of music that we all found and and our stories. Yeah. It's really wonderful though to read your book and just be like somebody who's completely different, completely different time zone, completely different world than me has such a similar story. It really did make me feel mm. not as much alone in the world, even though oh, again thanks. I'm 39 years old and you're writing about yourself <laughs> at you know. 1516 yeah it's, it's those that that mirror that we can look at yeah well and i think i think that part of it i hope is um is is this idea that like we're not and and i think it loops back to this like sort of like the punk rock ethos of like diy right like the ultimate like sort of like personal punk rock diy thing is is when you're 15 or 16 to be like I don't, I don't, I reject who my parents are because like their, you know, their morality, their ethics, you know, their politics, whatever, don't line up with mine. I mean, for me, it was like, you know, the Reagan era stuff. Right. And to feel like you're like where you're coming from doesn't determine where you can go. Like, like for me, that was so powerful because like as a kid who was not from this country, wasn't born here, parents like can, you know, don't speak the language well, like, like, you know, it, it, if our if our past determines our future, well, then why try anything, right? Like, you know, what are we what are we saying to like all the Black Americans? You know, the thirteen percent, you know, people who are Black and are descended from slaves that like that somehow right. that ancestry determines their future? Absolutely not. Like, I reject that like wholeheartedly. Um, and also, right, like the flip side is that 
than all the people who are like well-heeled and hoity-toity and the one percenters like is that their heritage as well no you you got to work for that shit all the time so so and that's really punk rock for me right that like i'm not doomed to be my parents you're not doomed to be your parents that like at any point like you can diy who you are and i don't know what's more authentic than that right yeah <laughs> that's beautiful i Thanks. i'm gonna ask you more questions but that's a perfect so, yeah. stopping, that's a perfect stopping point <laughs> yeah but let's okay. just keep going <laughs> <laughs> So you've, you've, I, I, I'm fascinated because me and my partner have decided not to have kids. Um, me, because I, I do suffer from some depression issues uh, and I don't want to pass those on to anyone else. Sure. And then she's got her own reasons. I won't speak for her, but you've, you've had two kids. You had n- maybe not the easiest time growing up. How scary was it for you to have these kids? And where did you find the strength to, to <laughs> like make these lives? Yeah, it was super scary. And in fact, for a long time, so like when my wife and I first got together, we're like, oh, we're totally going to have kids. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, fuck, no, 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 no kids. And then so we were like, no kids for a long time. And then all of a sudden we're like, you know what? I don't like, let's have kids. Like, you know, I, yeah, it, it was scary. and It didn't take a lot. You know, I also thought um, selfishly, like I think, you know, I was very close to my grandparents and, um, and I just thought like about their story. And I thought like, I, I didn't, I just wanted somebody like genetically for whatever that's worth. Like I, I wanted someone to carry on that story and have that our my family story be part of their story as well. Right. It's selfish and it's not great for the planet and all that stuff. Like I recognize that, but you know, and it's inherently, you know, sort of illogical, right. Irrational, but yeah, it was really, it was really just about like passing on the story. Um, in a real way, I guess. How are you going, how are you actively working to make the world a better place for your kids? I guess <laughs> kind of where, where I'm going. Yeah. I was trying to yeah, find yeah, a more yeah. elegant way to say it in a smarter <laughs> right, way, right, but right. like, how do, yeah. how do you, you know, how do we, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I, you know, like I think my, my, I feel like I have a pretty clear sense of agency and like where my sort of locus of control lies, right? Like, you know, I can't, fix greenhouse gases and you know institutional racism and all that stuff like I think I can make sure that like my kids are happy and they grow up feeling loved and um unconditionally you know obviously I'm not like a definitely not perfect parent but I um if I can do even just a little bit better than my parents did you know because I'm not struggling with PTSD and language things too like I'm not saying that like my parents are bad parents you know end of statement you know but I can also attribute like all the struggles that they had to, you know, coming here with, you know, $60 and like, you know, a, a newborn child and all that stuff. I mean, it's, it sounds, you know, and not speaking a language, like I can't imagine what they went through. It's so horrendous. So yeah, I, you know, and just making sure that they grow up with a sense of, I can't make the world a better place for them, but I can make them better people in the world. And, and frankly, like if, if I can do even that a little bit, like, I think that that seems like a win to me. Yeah. I have this idea, you know, because I'm going to put this on YouTube. We're going to put this on the podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have this idea that maybe in, t- it may not be next week and maybe two years, five years, somebody might come across this, this time capsule of this interview and they're looking, you know, they're, they're somebody who's looking for help finding their identities. Like, do you have any, and, and also not to mention that you, you have been a teacher in the past, like, what advice do you have for people that are looking for help finding their identities? Mm. I mean, I think, um, I think it's hard. Um, like, I, like I want to acknowledge that. Um, I think that it's, it's really like a process that it's a, a lifelong process for, for many of us and that it's okay to be confused. Um, and that like, I think the most important thing is to, to find a community um, like in a place where you belong, you know, like that, so like the, in, in the subtitle of my book, right, it's like a misfits memoir of great books, punk rock and the fight to fit in. And, and the idea of fitting in that, that is in the subtitle, it's a red herring, you know, or, because it, it's really, it's a fool's errand to try and fit in because like the idea of fitting in means like, what do I have to change about myself to get other people to like me, right? Which is like, that's conformity and that's, you know, you know, homogeneity and, you know, the opposite of fitting in to borrow the famous words of Brene Brown is the opposite of fitting in is, is belonging. Right. So I think like that is so 
important is to find a community and a sense of belonging somewhere. And, and, and that really means like finding a group of people. They may be your family. They may very well not be like a group of people who um, make you feel seen and they make you feel understood and they make you feel valued. Like if you can find a group of people like that, you know, where you can feel seen, valued and understood, like you'll find your sense of self, I think, more readily than, than if you didn't have that support from the community. Um, if, if the technology to like quantum leap backwards into your younger self, is there anything that you would do different? No, not at all. No, good. I don't. Yeah. I I might be a little kinder to some people, I guess. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I guess so. I, I I mean, I say that too quickly, but I, I, I wouldn't change any of the events, but I like, but if I could have been like a little bit nicer to my brother, like I was such a dick to my brother, you know, but like it was. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's sort of like that anger, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's a trickle down economy. It's like, okay, like my dad's mad at me and he's going to beat the shit out of me. Well, I'm just going to be mad at my brother and like beat the shit out of him. And that's, um, that's exactly me and my brother. Are you yeah. guys close now? Yeah, very much so. Oh, very I need so. to, I need to ask you for some advice on that then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Me and my I mean, brother think... are not as close as I would like us to be, but that's okay. But uh, how did yeah, you, sure. how did you and your brother get closer over the years? Just um i mean i think you know i think gosh uh i mean we lived in the same city at the same time together and and i think you know just like being and and then for a while like we were just like hey listen um we're not going to get closer if we don't talk right like nobody's been like well i really feel close to you because we haven't talked in six months so for a long time my brother and i had a standing weekly like phone date like we're just like i don't i don't care like if you have nothing to say or something to say, but like, let's just get on the phone for like 20 minutes, like required. And we did that for a couple of years and that was really great. Um, and we don't do it, but now we're texting all the time. And this was like pre cell phone. So right. we actually had to like get on a phone and like dial the number and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Me and my brother have a hard time talking and it's just, it's just from all that stuff growing up. Yeah. Uh, but I was in Florida a few years back and he lives in Florida. He drove two hours to come see me and, and, do whatever he was doing on his cell phone the whole time. So, I mean, he drove the two hours, four yeah, hour round trip. So that means something. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Have you, is he aware that you wish that you guys were closer? Yeah. I've, I've yeah. definitely sent him those. Maybe, maybe I should send him some sober texts to say that and not the <laughs> 1 a.m. Uh, drunken ones. But uh, yeah, I do yeah, think, yeah. I do, I do think, and I hope he does know that. I don't think he'll watch this, but maybe I will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Maybe yeah. It'll make yeah. a little bit better better of an effort because for me growing up it was very much the same thing like we both got picked on at home we both got picked on at school and i turned around and picked on him and once yeah. i figured out that that was a cycle that we were all just living in it it made it easier to break and uh, yeah so self-analysis has been very helpful for some of those yeah things. for sure for sure and he also might not be in a place to right. be close right and that yeah. which is ha- painful for you i'm sure but yeah. It also is. It is what it is, right? Yeah. 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 It's a lot of moving pieces there. It sounds like that's fun. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it, it, back to the book, just because yeah. you know, I just want to help you sell more copies. <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks, Damien. <laughs> uh, you know, so what have been some of the more surprising reactions to this book? Um, gosh, um, I mean, um, Big, well, l- let me just. Yeah. Because like I know for a bigger book like this, the publisher is going to send out those Goodreads copies to try to get people to post yeah, those yeah. reviews. So some gray-haired <laughs> little granny yeah, might totally be getting oh this God. for free. And like, I don't know oh. any. Have you experienced any of that? Like people like totally out of the wheelhouse, just falling head over heels for your book? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I've definitely, the the people, you know, like I really, I mean, I, I don't want to say like I wrote this book with like zero fucks to give, but like, it, I kind of like, you know, I just was like, I'm going to write the book that I want to write. And if people love, yeah, it's sort of like making like food and it's like, I'm going to spice it for me. And if it's too spicy for you, like I, I, it's not, it's not a character flaw, but you know, it's spicy. And um, so I'm just like constantly amazed. Like, oh, yeah, I got this like amazing email from like a reader and, you know, and he was just like, you know, like, I'm, I'm just like a middle-aged gay Mormon in Utah. And like, I loved your book and I connected with it so deeply. And there's really no, you know, very much what like your pre- preamble is like, you know, there's just no reason why I would connect so deeply to like 
a Vietnamese refugee growing up in like rural PA. And I was like, that's, that's really powerful. Um, and, and also hearing, this was actually really powerful to Damien was like hearing from kids that I went to high school with who I thought just had it made. And like, you know, like their life was just like, you know, hospital corners and everything was perfect. And like, these kids were like, actually, you know, like my dad was an alcoholic and he beat the shit out of me. And I had to like live with my grandparents and I was like, God, like, it just really reinforced for me how little we know about each other's stories and worse, how much we assume that we know about each other's stories. Um, and uh, yeah, that was incredible to learn about. And then like hearing from like kids who were closeted the whole time through high school. I mean, I didn't know any kids who were out, you know, who were like gay in high school. Like, I mean, they, they just wouldn't have survived. I mean, my high school it was like, you know, the eighties, it was so homophobic and, um, so yeah, it was it was powerful to like hear from those kids too. So or they're, they're adults now, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was really eye opening. So you were this punk rock kid who was a secret bookworm. Is it safe to say that books helped change your life? Yeah, for sure, big time. I mean, it was like cheap therapy, right? I mean, yeah. I think before I was even aware of what therapy was, I was just like. I feel so terrible. And then I would, you know, read the Scarlet Letter and I was like, I feel less terrible because Hester <laughs> Prynne understands me. <laughs> well, so here you go. Like, how does it feel to have written a book and come full circle, putting this book out there in the world that other people can identify with and not feel so alone? Yeah. I, yeah. It feels, um, it feels great. I mean, it feels like, um, you know, if I, if I can, you know, I, I just thought like if, if even one person read this, like, if, you know, it's sort of like playing a show, right? Like, like being yeah. in a band, playing a show, and you're like, man, if, if one person hears this song and like this somehow like helps them in any small way, like not in a grand way, like I, I don't, you know, like I have no sort of like ego around it. Like it just feels really, it feels really good. And, and that wasn't the intent, right? Like you, I don't think you can go into, you know, like when you start a band, right? Like you don't start a band, you're like, we're going to win Grammys. You know, you're just yeah. like, I just want to play the best show I can play yeah. and whatever else happens like that, that's a little bit out of my hands. So it's definitely like, again, I think it's like that punk rock thing of like keeping your, your ego in check a little bit, which goes back to, I think maybe the authenticity piece. Like, I wonder yeah. if there's like, I wonder if there's like an ego piece in there for me that's like triggering, you know, like, like I think about like bands like Fugazi, like so authentic. Right. And then I think about bands like, you know, the Rolling Stones, I, know like i guess they're authentic in their whatever their pursuit of, <laughs> of, of you know eight hundred dollar ticket shows and mm -hmm. stuff like that <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know either so are you still teaching <clears throat> um so i took a, a hiatus in 2019 okay. um in anticipation of like the book tour and stuff which didn't happen um, so now I'm sort of like, well, I don't want to go back to teaching in the middle of the pandemic. So I, I still definitely have gas in the tank, but um, I think for me, it's got to be sort of more sustainable, like for my family and stuff. And, you know, frankly, I, I'd love a little bit more time to write. Um, like I've got a couple of writing projects um, in the works, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask, like, I, I, have a, I have a number of friends who are writers who have been trying to break down the door. How did you, how did, you know, they're writing short fiction that's in stuff getting published every week. And here you are, you just have this, this memoir out there. Well, like, what was the journey like getting this, this book made? Yeah. I mean, you know, so like in 2019, uh, 2012, sorry, in 2012, I, I gave a TEDx talk. Um, it's a very and, nice one too. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. And, um, you know, it was the first time that I'd ever really talked about like my story in public, like, you know, prior to that, like I just never, ever talked about like growing up as a refugee and like, you know, discovering punk rock and great books and all that stuff. And, and, um, and so like when I, when I had the chance to give that talk, I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. Like, I'm not talking about all the, all the shit I like. I'm going to talk about like language and grammar, Star Wars, John Hughes, punk rock you know, what's the worst that could happen is I'll do it all in 12 minutes. No problem. <laughs> and, uh, um, and the response to it was really, really powerful. And so I started doing like live storytelling gigs in Portland, like very similar to like the moth, you know, radio hour. So mm -hmm. you have seven minutes, get up on stage, tell a real story and get off, you know, um, which I really sort of loved. And, you know, every time I would do that, like people would be like, that, that was really great or whatever. And it, it felt really validating. And so I thought, 
at the time, this is like 2014 or 2015. I was like, oh, like when I'm like 70 and like I can't tattoo anymore and like my body is broken, like I'm totally going to like write a book because it seems like people like the story. Um, and then in 2016, this agent um, from New York happened to see the TEDx talk. Um, and so she just kind of cold called me and she was like, hey, like you seem like you have an interesting story. Would you consider writing a memoir? Um, and I was like, eh. Sure. Why not? Let's, 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 let's give this a shot. <laughs> so, yeah. You make it look easy, but I, I guess Ugh. it wasn't Thanks. probably, it probably wasn't an easy experience getting there. Yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, writing is really lonely. That's the other thing that I really like for me, I realized like, like tattooing for me is like so social, you know, like, and it's so interpersonal and teaching is also so social and like writing. It's just like, you by yourself with your keyboard like you don't know if it's terrible like you know you're just yeah it's um so it's hard it's hard in a way that I didn't expect to be hard like I I, I knew that like the writing like the grind of writing would be challenging but I didn't realize how like the the isolation would also be like a, a thing to contend with so Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. yeah so what do you have coming is there anything on the pipeline what are you working on now like yeah <clears throat> I just um I just finished um two sort of short essays um as contributions to like a larger anthology so i was invited to um, contribute to two uh anthologies um which i don't want to say more about like they're being shopped around now Um, yeah 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 yeah. so those are out and um in submission and then um and then i have a couple of like homework assignments for my agent you know we'll see like you know in some ways excuse me like um you know like i'm not writing for a paycheck necessarily um I'm certainly not writing for like my own ego. I'm not writing for tenure. So I'm the most dangerous person <laughs> to be writing a book right now because <laughs> I can write whatever I want. But um, but I don't want to waste anyone's time. Certainly not my reader's time. Um, and uh, yeah, and not my kid's time, you know, because I think like any any hours that I'm logging in front of the laptop is time that I, you know, I'm not going to get back with them. So I just I just want to make sure that it's, it's worthwhile. Yeah. yeah, that's that's great. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Tell me about the tattooing real quick before I let you go. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, what do you want to know? <laughs> you're pretty great at it. How did you get into tattooing? Like yeah, you, so, you have a more traditional, you know, uh, Japanese, is that? For sure. Yeah, that's a lot of what I do. That's not, yeah, it's not the only thing I do, but I, I do definitely enjoy it. Um, I was like getting, you know, I mean, growing up in part of the punk rock scene, like, you know, it's like you always wanted tattoos, but they're also really expensive. And so I never... I didn't really get tattooed until I was in college <laughs> and I discovered the cash advance function on this credit card that my parents gave me. It was like the emergency credit card. And I was like, wait, I get free money off of this. <laughs> so Oops. that's when I started getting tattooed. Yeah. And then, um, so I got tattooed through college and then my last year of grad school, um, the guy that was tattooing me was like, you know, you seem like you're pretty into the lifestyle. This is like 1996, I think, you know, and he's like, well, you know, we're looking for an apprentice. You should, you should apply to be an apprentice. And I was like, okay, you know, like, sounds good. <laughs> and so, yeah. Uh, and this so is I, while you're teaching too? No, so okay. Jeff, it was literally my last year of grad school. Got it. So I got moved it, got to it, New York it. City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, apprentice, uh, the apprenticeship was unpaid. So I just taught during the day and then tattooed at night. And then, and then I just kept doing that for like 20, 20-ish years. Yeah. Yeah. where are you working out of these days yeah so i my wife and i own a shop here in portland maine yep so tsunami tattoo that's, that's cool. our that's our baby from you know we moved we left new york city and came here in 2003 nice. to you know do more adulting you know like have kids buy a home and yeah <laughs> open up a business shop. yeah why not <laughs> how, um how are your books looking like if like if say somehow i was in portland Maine and wanted a tattoo what would be the uh, best way to talk to you about it yeah I mean definitely through like the website like through the website's interface and stuff like that I book about nine months out in advance for tattooing so yeah people gotta plan a little bit but you know I I appreciate I appreciate anybody who's interested you know it's there's only one of me and a lot more of you guys out there so cool yeah. <clears throat> but I also have a great staff. So there's, there's, there's somebody at our shop that can certainly um, scratch your tattoo itch. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess I'll just have to put one in for a year and a half from now, because who knows when this, this, <laughs> yeah, when the right. world will get back to normal. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I read the book on the Libby app, the library app through my local library, <clears throat> which, uh, but I'm going to encourage people to buy a copy of the book because it's great. Thanks. I'm going to actually, you can, are you still doing the autographed books? Yeah, yeah. There's a link on my writer's website where you can order a signed copy. Cool. And so I, you, 
Yeah. So yeah, I will put that in the links of wherever people are watching this, whether it be oh, thanks a lot. or whatnot. And then now that we've one of the re, I just had this crazy idea. I didn't want to ask for an autographed copy without like having talked to you. <laughs> and I was like, just sign whatever you want to now, because now we have like this this hour long rambling session. That we yeah, 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 totally. Something, but um, again, I love the book. Is there before I let you go? You know, enjoy the rest of your evening with your wife and kids. Anything else you want to throw out there? No, I mean, I think, um, no, thanks. No, I, I just want to, you know, express my gratitude for anybody who's reading the book. Yeah. I mean, it's really like, you know, you, you just have no idea, like, who's going to connect with it. So I'm, I'm so deeply grateful to yeah. each and every reader. So, you know, thank you, Damien. And oh, uh, thanks to your listeners.